Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we would please like to ask for your guys' support. All you have to do is subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app and leave a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way in maintaining the consistency and quality of this podcast moving forward. And also, it just lets us know that you're listening, and we love to know that you're listening. So, thanks for your support, and yeah, go hit that five-star rating interview button. And now, on with the showtime. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where in a season filled with more starting lineups and turning points than actual wins, the Lakers have finally mercilessly reached a dead end, their point of no return, because there are no more turns to be made. How much that applies to their offseason prospects and whether they'll be able to bash through a wall and trek a new path remains to be seen. But for now, your 2021-2022 Lakers season is effectively donezo. It's over. And thank God. The Lakers, regardless of the outcome of their final three games, which we're recording prior to the Golden State Warriors game. Is that who they're playing today? I don't even know anymore. Yeah. Um, but regardless of the outcome of their final three games, the Lakers will finish with a record worse than the 2018-19 Lakers when LeBron first came and got injured. And the 2017-18 Lakers the year prior to that when the team had Lonzo Ball, Brooke Lopez, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Cal Kuzma, and Andrew Bogut, amongst others. Those teams had 37 wins and 35 wins, respectively. Last time the Lakers were this bad record-wise, the team had Marcelo Huertas and Jose Calderon on the team. And that team, that team back in 2016-17 finished with 26 wins. So actually not far off from this year's Lakers team record. That's crazy. So let that sink in. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, via a drive through recording through the 110. Tommy... We've seen this coming for quite a while now, but now that it's concretely solidified and the players and coaches can no longer spit out meaningless platitudes about the season and now's the time for us to show up and give some effort, how do you feel as a Lakers fan? I feel like relieved, honestly, that it's finally over. It was a very painful season to watch. I'm not even talking about like the expectations that we had and every fan had and you know, all of that just being completely crushed. I, I'm just like, process wise, this was a horrifically, horrifically difficult season to watch. You know, mm-hmm. like it was, 
it was a short off season, um, relatively, right? So it was kind of nice in the sense that, like, you know, we went from uh, finals being done last year, right, immediately into free agency. I mean, it was a long off season for the Lakers. Don't get me wrong, but if, but you know, in, in, the activity was high. There was like minimal downtimes, and all of a sudden, it was time to throw this team on the court. And you know, I was super optimistic when when uh, they put the full roster together. And you know, again, there's not meeting expectations, and then there's like what happened this year, which just was a failure on so many levels. And and. I, I said this to somebody the other day, and I, it maybe sounds extreme, but I honestly think it's true. The Lakers were so bad this year, it actually made me like basketball less as a sport. Yeah. Um, which is, like, crazy. Like, it's just became so painful to mm-hmm. watch basketball just generally because it was like you're either watching the Lakers and just them disrespecting the game completely on a nightly basis or you're watching some other team and, you know, kind of thinking about, like, how the Lakers could do better. It just, like, made it painful, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, uh, and so I think relief is, is how I'm feeling at this point, that it's finally over. Yeah, that thought of the Lakers just sucking the life out of you and draining your basketball fanhood, not, not just your Lakers fanhood, but your joy for basketball in general is exactly how I felt. And... Because usually if the Lakers are holding serve, or let's say they have draft hopes, or like tank aspirations, right, you're still watching the rest of the league to see, you know, what other teams are doing with their young prospects, or you're watching college basketball, but the Lakers, because of their limbo state, they're not winning this year, they don't have a draft pick, in fact, their lotto pick, like it's going to be in the number eight spot, is going to New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, so you're not, you don't, you don't know where to turn to for solace, right? And I think, so... The most damning thing I can say about this Lakers team is not even that they got me so pissed and frustrated to close this season out. It's that they pummeled me to the point of absolute apathy where I no longer saw a point to being pissed or frustrated about a team that had no clear identity, direction, or aspirations for itself, right? That's, yeah. that's the most damning thing I can say. I don't care one way or another. I'm not mad anymore because I've wasted so much breath on this team back in October, November, December, January, saying the same things over and over again that by March we had already kind of rung the death bell, death knell or whatever. You know, we'd already put this team in the grave and that was still like a month left to go without being mathematically eliminated to the point where we're just like apathetic and numb to it, desensitized. And that's that's a really sad state to be in that I don't think we've ever been in even during the tank years so no honestly not right and so that's the thing like over the course of a season like an 82 game season part of what you know and this is something that like not like non-basketball fans don't really understand um you know people always ask me because for so many I mean most of my life I've watched I mean, like probably 95% of like Laker regular season games since I was seven years old or something, you know what I mean? So, and people always ask, like, how do you keep it up? How do you keep the enthusiasm up for like 82 games? And, uh, you know, I can't bring myself to watch it. And for me, it's always about the process, right? It's like, you see things over the course. Yeah. Okay. And in any individual game in an 82 game season doesn't mean much, but you see trends and you see things changing and the process and the growth and like 
all that stuff is like fun to watch. And like to your point, even in the rebuilding years when we were winning 17 to 25 games, which by the way is not that much less than what we're going to win this year. <laughs> like even in those years, um, you saw like Brandon Ingram get better. You saw D'Angelo Russell get better. You saw Alex Caruso get better in Kuzma and like these guys develop. Um, and even you know in the champion and on the opposite end of the spectrum, the championship year, we were we won the championship. We were the number one team the entire season um, in the West, but or maybe even the whole league. I can't remember. But um, beyond being number one, you, like you saw that team grow and get better and like start off bottom five in the NBA in offensive efficiency, but end the season like number eleven or twelve. I mean, it was like a you know, we were never elite, but we were like, it was a huge jump. And, and you know, those are the types of things. It's not the game to game, but it's like the week to week or month to month. You sort of see a team develop and grow. And there was none of that. I mean, this is the same team ending the season now is the same team that, you know, blew a 35 point lead to Oklahoma City in the second week of the season. And then like an embarrassing loss, like it's nothing changed from that game now it's the same team that went oh and six in the preseason and made the same excuses over and over over the same like 10 game span we just repeat the same cycle of rhetoric right and it's it's just so pathetic and embarrassing to watch and honestly disrespectful to basketball disrespectful to lakers legacy and you know in the lakers 74 year history they have only missed the playoffs 12 times of those 12 times seven of those non-playoff years have come in the last nine years Thank God we won a championship. Um, In LeBron's 19-year career, he has only missed the playoffs four times. Two of those times came in his first two years in the league. The last two have come in his last four years with the Lakers. Sad. All right, Tommy. So you've kind of already mentioned it and answered this question, but on a macro level, without pinpointing any specific culprit, although you can touch upon this in your answer, but what's been the biggest disappointment to you about the season if you could put a finger on a theme um, for the season, because I'll go first since you already went, but, and if you could expand on that, or if you have another answer, but for me, and it kind of goes along the lines of, of the process thing you pointed out, but for me, it's kind of the front office giving up on this team. Now they may have some external internal reasonings for why they, they held back on doing stuff. But in general, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, And regardless of all the injuries that cropped up, like you mentioned, the joys of watching a season is seeing how people grow. And that includes the front office, right? To see what moves they make, to see the chessboard move, right? Not to be in a stagnant place where it's just like, okay, we're in the same position we were in the first month of the season. And and that's kind of what I felt like with this front office, because look, they made their bed with the Westbrook trade. They made their bed with letting Caruso walk. That's fine. Everybody makes mistakes, but there were multiple things throughout the season that, it, that they could have done after those moves had already been made and were already sort of categorized as sunk costs. There were things that they could have done throughout the season to incrementally patch the boat before the leak became unsalvageable. And every step along the way, they failed at doing that or were so comically late in making a move that it felt like a slap in the face to try and patch up a boat that was already six feet under the water. And so... For me, not see, and I know, I know the front, I know the front office almost had a move for Cam Reddish, and they had some three-way talks with the Raptors and Knicks, and the deal just fell through. But to me, you know, a good front office has Plan Bs, Plan Cs, Plan Ds to pivot to when stuff like that falls through. And 
this front office's response after the trade deadline passed even was indicative of what they've done this entire season. Their front office to not getting a deal done after the trade deadline was finally cutting DeAndre Jordan 19 days later, signing 5'11 DJ Augustine 19 days later, and signing Wenyan Gabriel to a two-way contract deal that they knew at the time was not playoff eligible. Um, so to me, it's kind of just like bad stewardship of LeBron James and Anthony Davis's career here with the Lakers, in spite of the fact that they share in the blame um, in the Russell Westbrook acquisition. They share in the blame in the makeup of this roster. At the end of the day, it still falls on the front office to then because the players are going to be playing out there on the basketball court, right? Anthony Davis and, and LeBron James know full well that this isn't working out. But you know what? They're going to hold up their end of the bargain by playing some basketball when they're healthy. So on the front office's end, what are they doing? And so I think from Jeannie and Rob's position, like the thing that I'm most disappointed about is that I don't think Jeannie and Rob can truthfully say that they tried to do everything in their power to improve this team every step along the way or give it the best chance to compete for a championship. Even with the injury excuse hanging over their head, and it's not an excuse, even with the injury curse hanging over their head all year, like I mentioned, they could have done so many things to mitigate that when they knew that this Russell Westbrook experiment was DOA, and I feel like they did next to nothing. The good moves that they did make, again, finally cutting DeAndre, signing Stanley Johnson, signing a two-way guy in Wenyan Gabriel, now cutting Trevor Ariza to maybe turn Wenyan Gabriel into a standard contract— you almost felt like you had to twist their arm into doing those things, right? So um, anything else to add? So I think a big theme of everything you just hit on, which I agree with all of it, is is inconsistency. You know, I think, like, if you listen back, this is crazy that we've been recording for this long, but if you listen back, like, all the way five, six years, however long we've been doing this, right, like, one thing that we've always kind of been consistent about is calling people out when they don't put like their money where their mouth is. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. you can say stuff, but you also have to like do things. And the thing about the Lakers, that front office and Genie and however you want to characterize it, um, that has been problematic is, you know, the big issue comes down to they just haven't they haven't been consistent in what they're, what they say and what they do. So like, to your point with all the, you know, it, it became a talking point that like, well, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're going to make win now moves. Okay. But you're going to make, make win now moves, but you're not going to keep Alex Caruso and keep like a 20 year old player who hasn't really developed yet. Um, you're going to make win now moves, but you're going to keep DeAndre Jordan until like literally the last possible second before you can cut him so that he can sign with somebody else. Like, you know, you're going to make win now moves, but like you've had a glaring weakness in size and athleticism on this team the entire season. And to the extent you address those weaknesses, they were addressed by, you know, signing guys who you could have signed months prior. And, in, in, you know, in the, certainly in the case of Stanley Johnson, but even in the case of Wenyan, like not even Wenyan, but somebody like Wenyan who is, you know, floating around the G League, there's tons of them, right? So it's like, you know, it, it, it just like it was all inconsistency. It was like, and and it's not just the front office. It was really like an issue that plagued all levels, and yeah. it never really felt like a team with cohesion, and it always felt like a team in limbo. Like this year's front office felt less like when Magic and Rob first took over and more like 
the end of the Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak regime where you sort of felt like the writing was on the wall that they were finally going to get ousted. And so because of that, like nothing happened. Um, and it sort of felt like that this year. Yeah, just a lack of accountability to an ownership at the end. People just not living up to their word, I think was disappointing to see as well. Um, before we take it to break, let's turn things a little bit more positive because the last time we had you on, the biggest development in Lakers land is the fact that Anthony Davis came back to play. And, you know, I was surprised by how well he actually looked as gimpy as he looked at times out there on the court. But, you know, in the three games he's played in April, 24 points, 11.3 rebounds, five assists. That's a monthly high this season. 1.3 steals, 1.3 blocks, 48% from the field. Obviously, there's a dip there with him trying to regain his offensive, you know, flow. But some of the stuff I saw him do, like pirouetting into the lane, up and under layups, and then, you know, getting a steal, getting a block, and actually moving pretty well in spurts. I was, I don't know, I was just quickly reminded that, wow, 70 of Anthony Davis makes us look like a competent team. Now, we didn't end up winning any of those games, especially because LeBron James went out shortly after that. But he just kind of, I don't know, I was reminded of how good this guy is and when he's right, just what a force he is on both ends. And I, I don't know about you, but when I look at Anthony Davis and LeBron James, even Anthony Davis gutting out these last three games and what LeBron James has been doing prior to the recent ankle tweak and just how dominant they both looked at times. And I'm talking about Anthony Davis looking good even at 70%, right? I don't, I don't think they, they meant to do this. It's probably just a byproduct of them playing. But is there some part of you that's like watching them play to close the season of a meaningless season play these games, these meaningless games. I know they were trying to fight for the play-in or whatever, but, you know, AD towards the end, too. He had no reason to be limping out out there anymore, especially against the Phoenix Suns, but he still did it. And LeBron James, you know, still finding a way to try and carry his team with these ridiculous performances, even though they didn't amount to wins. For me, it kind of felt like a subtle middle finger to the front office or just a clapped reminder to them to wake the fuck up this summer. You've still got us in the building, so don't squander your chance. You know, like that's that's one thought that I had in mind watching these two play, even amidst like such a mess of a season and, you know, us not even being able to call up any wins. I just watched LeBron James in a vacuum play. I watched Anthony Davis at 70% in a vacuum play, and I'm like holy shit, this is still a better foundational point than most other teams have when they're trying to totally reshuffle the deck, right? And for me, whether subconsciously or intentionally, I almost feel like LeBron James and Anthony Davis battling it out there to close the season was sort of a reminder like, hey, Rob, I know we made mistakes too as players constructing this roster, but our way of holding up our end of the bargain is by playing well on the court when we're healthy. And this is a little sneak preview and reminder of what we can do. Now's your turn. What are your thoughts yeah. on that theory, but also just like seeing Anthony Davis back in action? I mean, seeing AD back in action is is always great because you kind of forget. It's so easy to forget because he's missed half the, literally half the games over the last two seasons. Um, and even in the ones that he played last year, it felt like half of them, he, he wasn't at full strength, you know? But when he's playing i don't even want to say like everybody says oh when he's healthy he's great i don't even think like obviously it's best if he's healthy because if he's healthy he's like a easily a top 10 player in my opinion especially if we're considering two-way players but 
even when he's not healthy, he is like an all-star player. You know what I mean? And, and like this guy is so good and so talented. And it, you know, he's not old. He's still like got some years left in him. And yeah, I mean, I guess to your point, it's like he is kind of showing, you know, his way of showing like the front office, like, look, I didn't quit on the season. LeBron, LeBron also saying like, I didn't quit on the season, mm-hmm. but this is the situation that you guys put us in. And just remember that, you know, in this, in the, what is undoubtedly going to be like a summer of finger pointing at the end of the day, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you should be better than this. So, you know, again, I, everyone's going to be pointing the finger at who is fault it was for why we got Russ and whose fault it was for, you know, why we signed this team of geriatric you know, free agents. But at the end of the day, a team of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, even when, you know, before the injuries and before all that, like it, it, it should have worked out better than it did. And that's clearly not on them as they've reminded us. Yeah, no, I, I feel like even just seeing Anthony Davis in these three games and I wanted them to shut him down even a game earlier, but still it was a nice jolt in the arm to remind us as Lakers fans, the front office that, hey, all is not lost, but we got to get our shit together this summer. Or this is what she could be losing. We could, again, it's like bad stewardship of these two players' careers. And so how can we all get better? And it starts with the ownership and accountability, right? Anthony Davis saying, yo, I just got to get healthy. Even he owned up to the fact, I haven't been healthy. I have to get healthy somehow. And so it starts with that. It starts right there. Everybody looking themselves in the mirror and figuring out what to change and improve upon this summer. So we'll take it to break. When we return, we'll close this episode out and talk about how confident we are about the Lakers being able to turn around this mess. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. Tommy, simple question. You know, with everything we've talked about with the front office and and Jeannie Buss and the long road ahead this summer and not having many ways to finagle ourselves out of this current mess, how confident are you about... Palinka being able to pull off uh, a turnaround here, another turning point. And and before you go, I want to say I do have a silver lining about this season and Palinka. If we look at Palinka's tenure as, you know, head of basketball operations or GM or whatever, in terms of seasons that ended in abject failure, Palinka actually has a very small sample size of those such seasons. So namely, you point to the 2018-19 season when LeBron was first acquired and the magic mess being entangled and all of that at the end there and like them not making the playoffs. That was a that was a hot mess. Would you agree? Yes. So that was our first point of seeing, okay, well, how does Palinka respond to a mess like this? How does he bounce back? Well, he bounced back by swinging the Anthony Davis trade, signing Frank Vogel and winning a championship. So that's a, that's a good point. That's a good reference point to look back on and be like, okay, well, there's there's an example of one super down year. How did Palinka respond? Oh, he responded as well as you probably could. Even if you want to include the 2017-18 season when he first took over and had to clean up some of Jim and Mitch's mess, he was able to sort of set the stage for the next era by one, actually getting LeBron in the next year, and then two, also having the cap space and assets to give LeBron a baseline level to work with, right? So you can even pinpoint 2017-18 being the starting point of the turnaround in 2018-19. The main point being is we have a very small sample size of how Palinka responds to being down, but from 
the sample size that we do have, it seems like he's been good at bouncing back. And even if we're not so optimistic about him bouncing back, I think a part of me is still at the very least just definitely interested and intrigued with how he does it and if he's able to do it. Probably the latter being the most important part. Is he able to do it or was he just lucky during that first bounce back after the 2018-19 season when LeBron missed the playoffs, you know? Now is really where the rubber meets the road and because of that, that's why outside of all the obvious reasons why I'm most intrigued about this summer. Um, but your thoughts on that and also how confident are you about Palinka and the Lakers being able to turn this around? Yeah, so I think the sample size, and, and my confidence is unclear, but I think the sample <laughs> size is too small, right, to draw any conclusions. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so easy to go back and really nitpick all of his moves one by one by one. But I think to your point, they won a championship. He did some good things that can't be ignored, even if they were like over, you know, done by by uh, the the rust trade, like you know, we a championship starting guard who played a huge role for us. KCP was signed to a very reasonable market exception, uh, excuse, excuse me, market contract after we won the championship. That's somewhat rare. Um, Kyle Kuzma was signed to a very reasonable extension when he was up, and we didn't waste time with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we we identified and, and gave a con- guaranteed contract to Alex Caruso. You know, again, like all of this stuff is. He did good. People criticize him for the Vogel thing when he had Ty Lue. He didn't want to commit to Ty Lue and and Monty Williams' long-term options. Again, it's like, okay, congratulations. We all should have bought Bitcoin back in like 2012, right? It's like, you know, hindsight is obviously 2020. Like it it at that time, Ty Lue and Monty Williams had not been head coaches for many years. And they both kind of flamed out in the circumstances they were in prior. And they were assistant coaches for many years. And so, you know, I'm not going to hold the gun to Polinka's head and say this was your fault that you didn't want to give them commit long term contracts. We still got a coach who average as he may be overall is elite defensively and ended up getting us a championship. So it's, uh, you know, fine. But the problem is, I think a lot of my optimism is going to be shaped by how this rust situation gets handled. Um, you know, the play in is one thing. And we obviously just relatively recently got officially eliminated from that. But beyond that, we, I mean, the writing was on the wall for a while. This team was not going anywhere. And I think it was well known, even if we made the play in, even if we made the playoffs somehow, um, you know, won two games back to back for the first time since January to make the playoffs. Um, Even if all of that happened, Russ was going to get, we were going to move on from Russ. We weren't going to do another season of this. Like, well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll fight to get the six seed next year. Like it, when you have a LeBron team, an AD team, like that's not going to be acceptable. And it was clear the Russ thing wasn't working out. So my point of all of this is to say, they've had a long time to think about this. They've had a long time to think about their options. And a lot of their potential trade partners are either also not going to make the playoffs and thus could trade with them right away or are probably going to get eliminated fairly early in the playoffs if they do make it. So it's like, I think a lot of how this offseason is going to shape up is actually going to come into focus before the NBA draft um, or around the time of the NBA draft. So, Or we hope so. Or, you know, it kind of has to though, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, a lot of these hypotheticals with, you know, First of all, most of the Russ hypotheticals involve us 
trading multiple picks. I know that none of them are picks this year, so maybe not super relevant, but still teams like to get that stuff sorted out around draft time. But the big key is the contract situations. Like, for example, OKC is thought of as like a big potential trade partner. And after, you know, July 1st, when Shea Gilgis-Alexander's contract extension kicks in, they don't have as much flexibility to make a trade with us. So, you know, there's a few factors going on that lead me to believe that I think it's going to have to get sorted out pretty quickly. And anyway, it, how they deal with that is going to tell me a lot. If they end up doing something creative, you know, because there's a number of possibilities of what could happen here. So if they end up doing something creative and not just like, okay, Russ, we're going to dump you for two first round picks and see you later type of situation. Um, that will make me a little more optimistic if they do more of the same, like, you know, sort of the obvious move that we can think of, like, you know, who's available, Carmelo Anthony. Oh, he's friends with LeBron. Yeah. Sign him. You know, if it's going to be like more of that kind of mentality, then I don't have very much optimism, you know? And, right. and I think there's like, you know, the main, frankly, and this is kind of sad, but the main reason I have some degree of optimism is because I think it's been so widely reported at this point that nobody likes working with Rob, I mean, internally and externally, that there is going to be pressure on the front office to bring another voice into the equation. Um, so that, like, if another team doesn't want to talk to Rob because they think he's an asshole or whatever, they don't have to talk to Rob. They can talk to Clutchman, whoever the, you know, the new guy ends up being. And so you hope that beyond just being an extra voice, this person's also going to bring some new ideas um, into the equation. And, 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 you know, I guess from that perspective, it's like, if you take the perspective that any additional voice is helpful, maybe there's some reason to be optimistic, but I don't know. There's not a lot to work with and it is going to take a, just massive effort to correct this. So I'm not overall, not super optimistic. Yeah. I'm not optimistic either, but I think we're reaching where everything's coming to a head. Right. And anytime you get that situation where the rubber meets the road, regardless of your preconceived notions of Rob or whatever, you kind of, it's always just intriguing to see what this guy is going to do. Right. Are you willing to give him the benefit of the doubt to be like, all right, show me how you respond to such an abject failure. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, I, I kind of felt this way with Dennis Schroeder last season where I hated his play all the way up until, you know, the playoffs. And when we hit, what was it? Elimination time. I was like, Dennis Schroeder, if you can come through in this one game when we need it most, I will happily absolve you of all the sins of the past that I've had uh, against you. I think he ended up getting zero points that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the main point being, when you reach that pivotal moment, I'm kind of just intrigued. I'm going to get my bucket of popcorn and be like, all right, Rob, show me something. And I'm going to give you at least the benefit of, you know, I want to see some creativity. I'm not going to hold you to the crap that I've seen this season because it was just so historically bad. Like I've mentioned it before. This is Rob's... Mozgov dang situation if you could compare it to any- anything in the middle of a contention run because and you know some may even argue it's even worse not not worse but in the context that he kind of unraveled the championship team it's worse in that extent um so i'm excited for the journey 
while understanding that it might be a very bumpy ride because if you contextualize everything Rob has to go through this summer, even if you parallel this back to the summer after 2018-19, LeBron's first season, LeBron, I mean, sorry, Rob wasn't going into that season as strapped as he is this season, right? He's yeah, pretty not much, even close. Yeah, he's taken away all avenues of flexibility, and so he's really going to have to pull a rabbit out of the hat here, and I will allow him to try and do that. <laughs> so um, we will see if he can. I think both of our hopes is growth, growth from everybody. But like, what has Rob learned? Again, we haven't had a large enough sample size to see like, how does he internalize mistakes or whatever? We only have, he hasn't had two down years because I don't consider the year after the championship run a down year. Would you agree? Correct. Yeah, because he got Montrez Harrell, he got Dennis, like everything made theoretical sense, right? But injuries derailed things. So I don't even consider that a down year. So Rob's never had two totally down years. It just so happens that his most terrible year this year has sort of shackled the Lakers franchise for the foreseeable future until Russell Westbrook is gone. So how he gets himself out of that hole will be interesting to see because it's going to dictate how we move forward with LeBron James' career as a Laker and also Anthony Davis as well. So any last parting thoughts? It's just... <laughs> It's just going to be nuts. You know what I mean? It's it's just like you said, it's I Rob always used to talk about like the Rubik's cube or whatever and how it's always turning in so many different ways and how it's like, you know, he's if you know something doesn't work out then you go to this and then you go to this formulation, you go to this. But it's like there's not that many ways that the Rubik's cube can be turned this summer. Um we have to get rid of Russell Westbrook. It is a huge problem that is like known it's like when you're a you know nfl team this comes up all the time i'm thinking about this because the nfl draft is coming up relatively soon right but this comes up like all the time with nfl teams it's like you never want to signal to any other teams what you your glaring weakness is because then somebody else might try to trade up and you know kind of guess who you're going to pick and blah 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 30 out of, you know, sorry, 29 out of 29 of the other teams in the nba know that we are desperate to get rid of Russell Westbrook. I mean, it's like there are some minor permutations there where it's like, I guess we don't have to trade him. We could just wave and stretch him ourselves. But everybody knows that it is would be our strong, strong preference to just dump him somewhere. Um, ideally for players back, but who knows? And, and so the question is, how do you get something done? And that's just step one of many steps the need to be taken to improve this team the coaching staff that doesn't even give you yeah exactly that doesn't even get into the you're gonna have to hire an entirely new coaching staff this offseason because everybody knows frank is going to be out the door um frankly i don't think because you know of anything really to do with this ball look i think frank is an average coach who was dealt at, at a roster that completely plays to all of his weaknesses um and so probably you bring back the same team from the same exact roster from last season frank's probably not getting fired this this summer so but that said maybe you find something better but again they got to figure out the westbrook thing they got to figure out the coach thing they don't have a pick so they can't get better through the draft they don't even have a second round pick which would be in the top 10 in the second round if they had it (laughs) you know this year they don't you know they don't have 
financial flexibility in terms of being able to offer guys big contracts the best they can do. They probably can't even hard cap themselves, even if they do get out of the rest situation. They probably can't hard cap themselves by using the bigger MLE. The list of free agents this summer looks a lot like the list of free agents last summer, which is not very good. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like the trade assets have just been completely depleted. Nobody wants to touch THT with a 10-foot pole. So it's like what exactly, how can you possibly turn this around? And you add on top of all of this, you just sprinkle the little, you know, factor of nobody's like actively seeking to make a trade with the Lakers that is going to clearly make them better. You know what I mean? Especially with LeBron and AD and and playing in the West. So I just, I don't know. I, I will frankly be amazed if he is even able to turn this into like a passable team that can compete for a top four seed in the West next year. I mean, maybe that, maybe that's like, it it is like, I guess maybe that's like sounds too extreme because it's like, we were, we still have LeBron and AD, but I mean, to go from 10 to four in one off season is also like, sorry, not even 10, 11 to four in one off season is like a pretty big jump. But I, I, I don't know. I would be pretty, uh, pretty amazed if he was able to do anything. And so I guess maybe overall, not optimistic, <laughs> getting back to your original question. Sure. But I mean, the deck is definitely stacked against Rob and he's never been pushed to the wall like this before. And I think that makes for the best stories, right? For better or for worse. So pressure makes diamonds or pressure also makes hemorrhoids. So which one are we going to get? Are we going to get diamonds or hemorrhoids? Rob Palenka, that's really what I want to ask. But again, this is Hollywood. This makes for the best storylines. The fact that everything is stacked up against Rob. And can he find a way, again, to pull a rabbit out of a hat? And if he is able to even pull half of a rabbit out of a hat, I think we'll all be amazed. But again, for me, it's just the the ent- entertainment aspect of it all because no one's expecting, I don't think, Rob Palenka to be able to do much with this offseason. And so, you know, in moments like this, sometimes pressure brings about, you know, a clutch moment. And we're just hoping Rob can do that, even with all like how much we've railed on him this season. Um I'm still sort of hoping for the best while also understanding that everything that I've seen from Rob's tenure and his overall philosophies on team building, I'm not very confident at all. But strange stuff happens when you're backed into a corner, Tommy. So that's what I'm hoping for, like a good yeah. strange happens. So with that said, we will spend the rest of the, the, the off season sort of you know, doing our post-mortem on different aspects of what went wrong with this team. But also what we love to do best is look forward and see you know, the different scenarios that Rob could look at. I feel like I've wasted so much breath going through like the multitude of undrafted, unsigned free agents that we could look at that Rob hasn't signed that, I don't know, I don't I don't feel particularly motivated to do it again in the offseason just because he's probably, again, going to go for the Victor Oladipos of the world. But you know what? We're going to do it again. I'm going to muster up the energy and effort to do it. And then hopefully this summer, Rob comes out firing with his... Uh, Moneyball galaxy brain. So we'll see. Uh, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. And Tommy, are you safely home now? I am. Oh, there we go. We got Tommy home, everybody. Give yourselves a clap. All right, uh, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. See ya.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.